just want to start by welcoming you to Gateway, um, whether you're old timers or if this is your first Sunday, it really is great to have you here um, and hope you feel at home. If you are new to Swindon and looking for a church family, we'd love to welcome you and get to know you. Um, and whether Gateway's the church home for you or whether there's another church in Swindon, we'd love to help you um, find a church home. I recognize that September is often one of those points in the year where people kind of move and um, new jobs and all of those kinds of things, new stage of life. So if that is you, please do talk to us. There's lots of great churches in Swindon and we'd love to serve you. You're welcome here, by the way, just in case I wasn't very clear. But um, Right. Um, I'm just trying to think where to start because I want to leave time at the end just to, for us to respond to God. I, I, I think that um, God wants us to fix our eyes on him. I mean, that's not a profound thing to say. That's kind of an obvious thing to say, I hope, for us as God's people. Um, that God is calling us in this season of life again to fix our eyes on him and that, I don't know about you, I often need excuses to kind of go, right, I'm going again. And for some reason in my psyche, September is kind of one of those start points. Right, new school year. Fine, all the kids are moving up, going on. Well, I'm, I'm going to move up and go on too. And so my heart is this morning as we just dive into God's word and find Matthew 14 in your Bible, um, that we just use it as an excuse moment, if you need an excuse to pursue God. I don't think we do, but you know what I mean. Um, and we, we, before the summer, we were in a preaching series called Encounters with Jesus. Just so you know, we're going to kind of carry that on through the autumn. We've got a few uh, people who guest preachers coming over the autumn as well, but we're going to carry on just um, looking at people encountering Jesus. And this morning, I'm not really sure if this counts as one of those or not, but it's the first preach in September, so it is what it is. But actually, as you find Matthew 14, you remember, oh yeah, of course, this is a story when Jesus meets his disciples out on the water. Um, so that's what we're going to look at in just a moment. Um, Jesus' disciples, uh, this is a, by the way, this is a little freebie. Um, Jesus' disciples, I've just been really struck recently about the age of his disciples when he called them. Um, I... I feel like God has put our young people and our children as a team much more in the center and at the front of our thinking. How are we serving? How are we equipping? How are we raising disciples of Jesus, this next generation? And we, you don't need to look very far to see stats around the church and decline and young people, um, particularly in the Western context, leaving the church. And, and, you know, we can feel that ourselves too, but I, I just as I've kind of been mulling on that and thinking, how, okay, how do we really serve our young people well in this season of life, in this chaotic world in which we live, and give them a vision of Jesus and his kingdom and a life that's worth giving, uh, living and giving yourself to? I was just struck by the age of Jesus' disciples. Now, there's a lot of debate around this, but most people would say they kind of range somewhere from 13, 14 up to possibly 30. Typically, a rabbi, a teacher would have disciples who apprentice under them, and they would be um, typically a, a few years younger than the rabbi. So you're, after you've had your kind of basic training from the age of five through to 11 or 12, as a Jewish guy, you would then, if you, if you kind of like the scriptures and you like thinking about God and theology and you've kind of got a bit of an interest in that, you could then apprentice yourself to a rabbi who would 
who would teach you their understanding and their ways with God. And I was just struck as I was doing some research on this, that some of these guys would have been really quite young, really quite young, when Jesus said to them, come follow me, come follow me. In Jewish culture, old enough that they were recognized as men and adults, but, but young in terms of just numbers of years lived. And, and Jesus says to them, come follow me. And these guys radically changed the world. And right now, there aren't many young people in here at all because they've gone out this morning, which is great. But if they were here, I'd say, it is not about one day when. Jesus says to us today, come follow me. And maybe, maybe you need to hear that again this morning, that Jesus' invitation to you is come follow me. Don't just hang on, counting out your days, going, I've got a ticket. I'm going to get through. I'm going to make it into heaven. No, Jesus is inviting you, come and follow him. And I know, and you know, that that can be incredibly difficult at times. We have all kinds of things vying for our attention, lots of things. It's not just Jesus that says into our life, come follow me. It's everything in the world. Things that are good, just things, movies and films, that's the same thing, movies and TV and social media and education and family, you know, lots of good things and food and drink and lots of good things kind of say, come follow me. Come follow me. Give your time to me. So it's not just Jesus that invites us to follow him, but actually everything is after our time. Everything is after our time. And we can find it hard, can't we, to go, Jesus, I am following you. The, the, the decision that the disciples made to follow Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, was a decision that wasn't unknown but I think for some young guys to go, at this young age, I'm placing my hope in that this isn't just any old rabbi, but this might be the Messiah. And they lived and saw amazing things living life with Jesus. And that's Jesus' invitation to us. And, and I, guess, I guess as we get to this September, part of the thing of going, right, let's go again, isn't just to say, oh, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll sort out a few areas of life. It's saying, no, let's put God in the middle, in the center of each one of our lives saying, Jesus, you first. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, unless you've been living under a rock these last couple of years, I think it's kind of fair to say that the world in which we live right now is a fairly alarming place. Um, it ain't easy. And you don't need me to tell you, but plague and pestilence and wars, and rumors of wars, and inflation, and so on, and so on, and floods, and it kind of feels slightly biblical, doesn't it? It's kind of like, you're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying end times, everyone, what I'm saying is I'm just like, wow, it's tough. It's a tough place to live, and if you carry one of these in your pocket, this is not good news, because this is saying to you, be anxious, be anxious, be anxious. Be anxious all the time. This is, we have news of what's going on in the most far-flung places of the world that once upon a time, previous generations, of course, wouldn't have had a clue. Maybe five, six years later, they might have heard something. But right now, we can find out whatever's going on in any corner of the world. And all of it kind of adds to this underlying anxiety in us as people. I'm not just talking about people of faith. I'm saying as people. And I wonder that in our generation, there's this kind of leveling up of anxiety. And we saw that through the pandemic, didn't we? That, that sense of lockdown and 
For so many of us, it wasn't actually a time of peace. It was just this time of anxiety, not just fear of a pandemic, but just the, the whole context of it kind of bred this anxiety. And actually, in our schools now, we see many children struggling with a new depth of anxiety, just struggling with some of the basics of life that, that it's not, I'm not blaming them, but just the way that maybe we've responded as a, as a community, as a, as a nation to this has helped to kind of breed this sense of anxiety. I don't know about you, but I sort of have to, I'm not brilliant at this, but I have to be disciplined about going, I'm not going on the news. I'm not going on the news. Yes, the world is chaotic. I know that. But I don't want that to be the only thing because this, this doesn't bring peace to me. It just kind of causes this leveling up of anxiety in my heart. And I have to try and keep that under control. And sure, it's, it's good to stay in touch with what's happening. Absolutely. But even news outlets fairly regularly these days are saying, we're putting, we're putting this content, content out for you. But don't consume so much of it because it, too much is not a good thing for you. Even often you see uh, different papers, different things online where they're saying just don't overconsume news that causes and breeds anxiety. And the, the, this isn't news to us, by the way. This is, the, you know, since the fall, since the Garden of Eden, the world is a broken place. It's not like suddenly these things have come along. It's just... It's disrupting the comfort that we've had in the West. And we're seeing it and we're feeling it. And we're saying, oh, what, what next? But this isn't news to people in the world. And it's not news to the writers of the Bible. And the Bible looks at the events of the world and the chaos of the world. And it gives this metaphor over and over for all these chaotic events that kind of just seem out of control. One thing after another coming along. And it gives this, this metaphor of chaotic water. So in the Bible, you often see uh, water given as this image, this first image. In fact, you do, don't you? You see the chaotic waters in creation. And it's this image of uncreation, of somewhere that's uninhabitable, un unwelcoming for life itself. And then we get to contrast that dark, chaotic water that's there in the beginning of Genesis with the river of life that flows in Eden that's created later in the story. And we kind of, it's often in the Bible, we're meant to compare and contrast and to see, hold on, yes, there's this chaos that's kind of reigning. There's this chaos that's there and present. But God brings life and still life-giving waters and peace. In fact, even in the Bible, chaotic water is often personified as evil. So even in the story of Exodus with Pharaoh and his armies, it kind of gets caught up into, it's kind of made equivalent with the chaotic water. So in Psalm 18, it says this, O God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crush Rahab like one who is slain. You scatter your enemies with your mighty arm. And Rahab is actually a Hebrew word for Egypt. And so the psalmist is kind of saying, yes, like, just like the Celtic waters, Lord, um, even Egypt and Pharaoh is like this raging sea, yet you scatter them. Or in Isaiah 17, woe to many nations that rage. And boy, do we see many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Woe to the peoples who roar, they roar, like the roaring of great 
waters, Isaiah tells us. And so this metaphor, even in Isaiah, begins to expand to this chaotic water is actually also a picture of raging nations. And then you begin to contrast this with this new um, prophetic picture that begins to come through the prophets with this new creation promise in relation to this chaotic water metaphor. So listen to this in Joel um, chapter 4. He says this, And in that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. Well, Zechariah um, 14. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it to the east, to the Dead Sea, and half of it to the west, to the Mediterranean Sea, in summer and in water. The Lord will be king over all the whole earth. Or in Isaiah 2, it's, it says that the nations will stream to the, to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the Lord. Literally, the word used there is they will river. The nations will river to the mountain of the Lord. Or I love this in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most hell, uh, sorry, sorry, where the most high dwells. Hell dwells, sorry. And so even danger and death itself are described as this chaotic water. But love and peace and shelter and security and life and fruitfulness are described as this river of life in contrast. And for you and I, we exist in this chaotic water of the world. That's the backdrop of our life. But what God has done in Christ is create a new humanity, a different kind of human being. One who goes, yeah, yeah, I, I am living in this context. This is a world in which I live, but it's not my home. It's not, I, my, I've set my heart on things above, on eternal things. I've set my heart to be with God. And I'm an alien and stranger in this place. And my hope is anchored in Christ Jesus, who he is and what he has done. But we are being pulled, aren't we? Let's be real. We're being pulled through the chaos and the chaotic waters of life around us right now, saying, worry, worry about what you'll eat. Worry about how you'll pay the next heating bill. Worry about does war suddenly spill over. Worry about nuclear accident at a power station. Worry about um, the environment catastrophe. Worry, worry, worry. Be anxious for everything. That's what the world tells us, doesn't it? It's literally be anxious for everything. And then Jesus comes and he says, no, no, no. There's a river that flows, that makes glad the city of God, the people of God, the dwelling place of God. And Jesus says, be anxious for nothing. Cast your anxiety on him. Do not fear. Do not worry. Do not even worry about how you're going to pay the next gas bill. Your heavenly father knows you need to pay that, by the way. It literally comes down to that. He knows that gas prices are rising. 
And Jesus says into that storm, hey, for you, people call by my name, peace. Peace. And so we're going to just read for a few moments through this story of Jesus walking on the water and coming to the disciples in the boat. Um, The context of this is earlier that day. This is a day in the life of Jesus, snapshot version. Earlier that day, early in the morning, Jesus receives news that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. And he's grieving, understandably. And some of the disciples who would have been uh, disciples of John the Baptist before they were disciples of Jesus, likewise, I'm sure, would have been grieving at this news. And Jesus is going off to find somewhere to find solitude, to, to grieve. But of course, Jesus being Jesus, who is this river of life that brings peace. I, many people kind of go, I, I need to find peace in life. And they go to Jesus and they bring the sick and they, they come and they want Jesus to heal them. And, and all these people are hungry. And of course, I, I hope you know this, that God turns his grief into compassion on people. Oftentimes we can turn grief into anger and frustration and and despair, but God turns his grief into compassion. And Jesus sees these 5,000 men, plus women, plus children, and has compassion on them, and they're hungry. And he gives his disciples food to feed these hungry people. And this is just a day in the life of Jesus. His, his, His cousin's been beheaded. Then he feeds a crowd and has compassion on them. And at the end of this long day, this is what we read, Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. I hope as we think about kind of saying, come on, three days of prayer. It's not just, oh yeah, that's what we do as a church. Sometimes we pray. I hope it's that sense of Jesus, the son of the living God, fully God, fully man, went specifically to spend time with his father. And that we as disciples of Jesus don't begrudge prayer in our heart, but we go, Jesus, teach us to walk like you, to desire to spend time with our heavenly father. And later that night, he was alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. I love how Matthew just says that, like, of course, shortest route, straight through. It's just so matter of fact, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, understandably, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. This is the only, Matthew's gospel is the only account of this uh, uh, situation with Peter. 
And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. It's the right thing to cry, by the way. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and said, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, he is the Son of God. Amen. In, in Mark's version of this gospel, it says that Jesus is um, on the hill praying and that he saw the disciples straining at the oars. So although Jesus had sent his disciples on ahead, I just I love that Mark just gives that, that indication that he was watching. He was watching. Like a, like a parent who says, kids, you can go and play. You can go and play. Yeah, go and play in that park. But you're watching. He had his eye on his sheep. I love it, just that Mark kind of just drops that in there. Yeah, I'm sending you out, but I'm watching. Hey, church, Jesus is sending us out, but he's with us and watching and interceding and leading us. I know we know this story. We're familiar with it. it it's not, we kind of hear it and it doesn't particularly sound profound to us. And I really just want to draw three very simple points from it um, for us in a moment. Um, but suffice to say, the whole point of this story really is that Jesus is over the chaos of the world. So backdrop is this world has chaos, it's like chaotic water, but behind that and above it and underneath it, Jesus is in control. He's in control of these moments. In fact, he's Lord and King over this world. And nothing happens without his say-so. And that leads us into all kinds of challenging questions, absolutely, and they're worth investigating and thinking through. But this story says that in this backdrop of chaotic water, whether it's global or in your life, in your family, whether it's a internal turmoil and, and challenge of anxiety and mental health, or whether it's a financial crisis, or whether it's your family's falling apart, or things aren't working out quite so well, or work's tough, or the houses. I just found out that we've got some bricks that kind of don't have any mortar at the base level, which is, which is slightly concerning, and you're going, oh, not another thing. But whether it's just practical things in life like that, underneath it, behind it, over it, Jesus is in control of the chaos of life. And that should strengthen us today knowing that. And so the first thing is this, that Jesus is our comfort. So he doesn't, when Jesus invites you to come to follow him, he doesn't remove you from the chaos of the life that we're living and the world that we're in, does he? One, one day that's the future promise that we are longing for. Come, Lord Jesus. And Al just read a moment ago, didn't he, about Jesus wiping away tears. I think you did, didn't you? Every tear. Yes, good for you. Um, we have a future hope. New heavens and new earth where chaos does not uh, take place, but peace and life and fruitfulness and joy everlasting. But 
I just want us to hear these words this morning. When Jesus says, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't fear. Jesus speaks that to us as his people today with the chaos raging, whether in the world we live in or in personal life. He says, do not be afraid. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. Isaiah 41, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand, Peter, as you step out onto that water. Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, God, in, wor- in whose word I praise. I will not be afraid. What can death do to me? John 14, 27, peace. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples as he's preparing them that he's going to be going to heaven. Peace is what I leave you. It's my peace that I give to you. I do not give it as the world does. So do not be worried and do not be upset and do not be afraid. I discovered this week that the word, uh, or the phrase, sorry, fear not, or do not be afraid, is actually in the Bible 365 times. I did not know that. Did anybody know that? Victoria, well done. Matt, did you not know that? You, oh, he did. He's just being humble. I knew you'd, I knew you'd know that, Matt. Um, how annoying. Um, I discovered this, and I'm letting everyone in this know. Isn't it amazing? Every day, do not fear. Do not fear, Christian. Every day, do not fear. Jesus is saying that to you today. Do not be afraid. Is it coincidence? Who knows? Is God pretty good as an author? I imagine so. Um, How amazing is that, though? Do not be afraid today. Hey, tomorrow, do not be afraid. Hey, we're going to hear bad news all the time. Don't be afraid, though. Things might get... uh, Sorry to do a Monty Python like Brian. I know some people might like it, but worse things can't get any worse. Hey, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. John Ortberg, he says this. Why does God say, uh, fear not so much? My My hunch is that the reason God says, fear not so much, is not that he wants to spare us emotional discomfort. Many of us just want to avoid emotional discomfort. In fact, usually he says, fear not to get people to do something that leads them to greater fear anyway. I think Jesus says, fear not so often because fear is the number one reason that human beings are tempted to avoid doing what God asks us to do. In other words, he says, God loves you and is so passionate about you and he so wants you to come into everything that he wants you to be and to do that he says to you, do not fear. Take a step because he wants you to become the person he has called you to be. Do not fear. I hope 
You get the point with that one. Do not fear. Jesus is in control over the storm, as we said a moment ago. And the writer to the Hebrews, with a similar kind of encouragement, and how, okay, how do I not fear? He says this, that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the author of our faith. We, we fix our eyes on Jesus. So Peter, Jesus, if you, if you say, come, I will. I'll step out the boat. Then come, Peter. Step out the boat. His eyes are on Jesus until he starts to hear and see the waves. And then fear creeps in and he begins to drown, I guess. And Jesus grabs him. Says, you idiot. But not, a bit nicer. Do not fear. And in the midst of a storm, in the midst of the chaotic water of life, Jesus has invited each one of us, come follow me, but he also sends every single one of us to go into the storm, to go into the chaos of life, to, to, to walk through challenging seasons of life, traumatic seasons of life, broken seasons of life, things that we have no power and control about it. And he says, you've got to go through these things. In fact, I'm sending you through these things. I'm sending you into these situations. I'm sending you into your workplace. I'm sending you into that place. I've placed you in your street to be a beacon of light and hope. I've, I've given you your family because I want you to be there and to bring the peace and love and life of God into it. And Jesus, he invites us to follow him. But he says, go. He says, come. Now, let's go do this. Come, I'm sending you. So he sends his disciples. You could say, that's a bit careless to send them into... I mean, they were fishermen. They knew what they were doing. But even then, they were at, barely made any headway over about a 10-hour period. They only went about three miles in there at the oar. And maybe right now, you feel like you're at the oar just all night going, trying to row somewhere, get to the shore so it's solid ground under your feet. I'm like, Jesus... Where are you? But Jesus is sending us into a world full of chaos where people don't have the hope and life of him. Don't have that security of, of, of knowing God who's bid them come, who gives them eternal hope, eternal future. And there are people who are walking around in darkness, in this chaos of going, this is the best it gets. Finding all kinds of things to place hope and trust in. And my Christian friend, I want to say this to you, that we as followers of Jesus who, are, who have encountered the way, the truth, and the life, the one who walks on water, who has conquered sin and death itself, who not, who, who not just stepped down into the chaos of the water, but stepped down into the chaos of humanity, even stepped down into the chaos of death itself and taking on the chaos of sin itself in our place, has conquered it. He has overcome. He is the one who walks on water. He's the one who stands over sin and over death. And Jesus is sending us as his people, full of his spirit, for this purpose, to go and announce the coming of the kingdom, that it is here, that there is one who walks on the water. There is one who gets into the boat and the waves cease and the winds still. And Jesus is sending us now, today, he's not just got in your boat so that it's comfy. 
and the waves die down a bit is so that he can send you and say, I'm in your boat. I'm in your boat. Now go and speak peace and bring life and bring hope. There were two messages I received this week, and I'll finish with this. The first was this um, from a friend. And she said, I believe that I have to say yes to Jesus and live free in his opportunity. If he says, follow me, I need and want to say yes. Jesus is all we are living for. Surrender to him is the only thing that will, en- will enable us to see more of his kingdom come in the lives of people around us. I believe that a time of advance, not retreat, is what's needed to be fully filled, ready for the next season that the church in the UK is entering. And then Jules uh, texted me just earlier in the week, and he said, things seem to be nice right now. In church, he's talking. Things seem to be nice. I think he means nice like that, you know. It's it's nice. Um, But nice is a very dangerous place to be. My prayer is for a flock on fire and to be moving forward to all the Father wants the church to be. Prayer needs to drive this and move us forward. And then Jules said, maybe we could start the term by some prayer and fasting. And lo and behold, we're starting the term by prayer and fasting. And the reason we have these three days that Callum mentioned a moment ago is not just to go, oh good, it's in the diary, we've done a bit of prayer and fasting, but it's that we might fix our eyes on the one who is peace in the context of a world that is chaotic. That we might fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. That we might be men and women who go, yes, all of these things are going on, but I know peace. And he's good. And he's full of compassion and truth. And he's able to calm the storms. And so we're going to have three days of prayer and fasting. Can I invite you to make this a priority over that day? Not just the evenings, but on those days to, to, as you can, take a lunch break. Just find time in the day to seek God and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm fixing my eyes on you. I really believe that. Right now, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on him again, afresh. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to play a song, and I'd love you to, you can stand or sit, whatever you want to do. I just want to close by um, playing this song, and we've sung it a few times before. It's called, Is He Worthy? by a guy called Andrew Peterson. And he's asking this question about the chaos of life, but the one who brings peace. And so we're just going to use this as a moment to respond to Jesus in your heart. But I'd love us, as we're listening, to say, yes, Jesus, I will. I just want to pray for those in this family here who are struggling with anxiety in particular. Who kind of go, yeah, I feel like I'm stood in the midst of chaotic water right now. That kind of would sum it up for me. And I want to simply pray for you that you would fix your eyes on Jesus again today. So, Father, we thank you that you sent your son into the world. Into the storm of life. To stand on chaos's neck. To still the storms and cease the wind sin and death and Satan and sickness. 
And Jesus, we thank you that you've done that. We thank you that the cross tells us the cost of that. The empty grave announces it with a proclamation. It's all done. There's nothing else. And I pray that that, the truth of who you are and what you've done would flow into our lives here this morning, right now, that we as your people would be full of your hope and your power and your presence in every moment of every day, that we would fix our eyes on you afresh in this season, the one who stands on the water and bids us come. The one who's come and sat in our boat and brought the peace of God into our life. We say, Jesus, we're here. We need you. We want to see you. We want to see you as, the, as, the, as that uh, picture of Isaiah who saw you high and lifted up in your train, filling the whole temple. And there his words were, whoa, holy, holy, holy. And Jesus, we pray that we would see you as one who is so much greater than the chaotic waters of this world that we live in at this moment. We say, we pray that for us, that that would pale into insignificance when we fix our eyes on you. And so Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you again, Lord and Savior, King and God, friend of sinners. So Gateway, I bless you this morning. And I pray, I just thank, so thankful that we had that time in worship of saying, God, fill us afresh with your spirit. And I, that's good, for, it's good news for us, but it's good news so too that we can be sent into the chaos of the world, taking the good news of Jesus Christ. Taking hold of our grief and our, our uh, tumult and turning that into compassion on people who don't have hope. And so I pray Father, fill us as your people with your spirit that we might go and bless and bring life and hope into a dying and hurting and chaotic world. Lord, do that by your spirit, we pray, in your mighty name, that there'll be many who come to saving faith in your Son, O God, Christ Jesus. Amen.